So uh, last week we talked about forgiveness, and uh, and we talked about the grudges, these grudges that we hold in our hearts toward people. Anybody here who's never held a grudge, never felt that? You don't know what I'm talking about here. Okay, good. I just want to make sure we're all on the same page. But uh, and you're going to find as Jesus as we go through this, Jesus talks about anger, and he says that anger, anger will. It will actually work in your heart. You have to understand, your heart is the place where you make all your decisions. Your heart actually will manipulate your mind. We're going to talk about this next week. But it will actually manipulate your mind into getting what it wants. I don't know if you've ever had this happen or not. Talked yourself into something that you knew was wrong. But your mind will actually work to get what you want, okay? Even if it destroys your life. So what happens is anger gets into your heart. And I'm telling you, it will destroy your peace. Like you thinking to yourself, well, they deserve it, you know, because I hate them and, and so on. And then you can go on like that. But I'm telling you, what will happen is like, you've, you've heard the analogy. It's like, you know, somebody drinking poison and waiting for the enemy to die. It just is like that. So you're contaminating the very place where you make all your decisions. Okay. So we talked about forgiveness. Forgiveness is how you deal with this. Forgiveness is what God has given us as a gift to, to help us to help people who are imperfect, people who get hurt. So you always forgive. Always. Jesus said, you know, if you don't forgive, then, you know, don't expect that God's going to forgive you. And I'm not sure what all he meant by that. It's just, I don't want to try it. Okay. He said, we always forgive. And it's a choice that you have to make no matter how you're feeling. Reconcile is different. So you can forgive all on your own. We're called to forgive all on our own. Reconcile means that you come back together again and you agree where the jagged points are on the broken relationship and so on. So reconcile, hopefully. Hopefully you can reconcile, but it takes two to do that. Restore, maybe. Somebody, you know, bilks a bunch of money out of the, out of the you know, bank that they're working at and so on. So, you know, somebody might forgive them. They can reconcile and come back and say, I screwed up. Are they going to hire them back? Probably not. You know, if you, you get into a marriage and, and one of you gives, goes off on a tangent or you both go off on tangents and your marriage breaks up and so on, so you forgive, reconcile, you want to come back together again so that you don't hate each other forever. Restore? Get married again? Maybe, probably not. And that's kind of the difference, okay? Everybody get that? Or do you get that? Okay, good. I just wanted to make sure, okay? So, our mission statement here, and, and why we're dealing with this kind of stuff, is that we are called to be transformed. We want to be a community of people who have been transformed. Not just like nipped a few little things off of our lives and quit a few bad habits. Transformed by the good news of Jesus. That's what happens to us when we encounter it. Why? So that we can just be really good and burn holes in the carpet with our light here in the church? No. To be good news and have a transforming impact on our world. And I want to tell you why that's important. Anybody know how many people there are in Markham? You've seen the recent signs. Recent signs say 200 or 352,000 people, probably closer to 400,000 people. How many churches are there? I guarantee you they're less than 300. Even if there were 300, that would mean that for us to be able to impact this community, you have to be 300 churches, all with 1,000 people each. Friends, we are way under that. And we live in a community that needs to be redeemed by the good news of Jesus. So, and that works through us. He transforms us and then he changes other people through our lives. So 
Today, I want to talk about the parable of the English ivy. You want to hear the story? Okay, I'm going to tell you the story, even if you don't want to hear it. So, um, it starts with Lori's dear aunt, late aunt, old Doris, Aunt Doris, sorry about that, came, um, came to us bearing gifts. And she came in, by the way, I brought two of these, so if any of you want to plant this, you can take it home and plant it. But um, she brought us these gifts. This was English ivy. And she said to us, she says, now, I just took a cutting from what I have. It may not survive. So Lori planted it out by the house. Well, not only did it survive, it thrived. So this thing started growing up the side of the house. Lori kind of liked it, so she thought she's the gardener in our family. She said, we'll plant a few more. So she took a few cuttings off this thing, planted a few more along the side of the house. And so, you know, over a few years, man, wow, this stuff grew up as like a wall of green, like a living wall. And it looked really cool, you know, because it kind of feel like your Ivy League university or, or something like that. You know, after all, this is English Ivy. I mean, it sounds proper and so on. But there came a day when I began to resent Aunt Doris. And I'll tell you why. I looked, I, I was, when I, I don't walk by that wall very much. I walked out there and I, like, first of all, you can see these green things around the screens and the wind, in the bathroom windows upstairs and, and so on. It's like creeping inside, you know, coming under the, under the, the cracks and the holes and stuff like this. And then I, I thought, I better go out and take a look at this stuff. This stuff is growing, like it's grown up the whole side of the house and it's grown into the soffit and the fascia and, you know, and it's this mess. So I'm thinking to myself, well, you know what? I just go out and I'll cut some of it off and so on and I should be able to peel that stuff right off. Didn't work, and I'll tell you why. This, how many of you would like to have this growing? Because this is what is under English ivy, big, ugly, hairy roots, okay? And so, anyway, so I, I cut this stuff off. Well, these, all these little hairs here have, they grow sap, okay? And what happens is it goes into the brick. You can't, I'll tell you what I had to do. I cut this stuff off at the bottom and I actually hooked the winch from this stuff down to the fence and I <laughs> winched it off the side of the house. And so what I, you know, plants look clean, don't they? This stuff, I'm like, I've got dirt raining off this stuff and dust and it's running down my back and it's all over my arms and, and clouds of dust getting in my, I even, there were even two bird's nests in this stuff, Okay came raining down. Fortunately, there were no birds in them. So, you know, there's something else that I didn't expect, and that is that it was going to grow back. I'm not kidding you. So, so anyways, I cut this stuff off, winched it off the house. About five years later, I went, this is still, it's like grown up. It's ripping the screens off the windows. It's pulling the fo this uh, soffit off and, and so on. So I took it down again. And about three weeks ago, or I guess probably be more like three months ago, I noticed this, like it's, you, you look out the bathroom window and it's like it's squeezing your house. It's taking over. It's climbing up and it's going, and it'll actually come right in your screen windows and it will like grab you if you let it. You know, I mean, it's nasty stuff. So bad Aunt Doris. I love you, but not your gift. Now, I have to be honest, okay? Here's, here's where I have to be just totally honest. She gave us the gift, but we planted it. Now, here's what I want to ask you. Is there anything that you've taken into your heart? And it's just a little plant. It's not a big deal. Kind of cute, you know? You've got a nice little plant. 
take it to bed with you. But it's, it's grown way bigger than you ever thought it would. You brought it in because you thought it would make you happy. And then you find out, <laughs> this is squeezing the life out of my happiness. Because that's what sin is like. Starts out small, something little cute thing, and then it, it grows beyond way bigger than you'd ever dream. Now, after starting his message off by talking about the path to happiness, and Jesus talks about that, remember? He says, you know, he says, if you want happiness, part of the path is understanding that every good thing in your life comes from God. He said, if you want to be happy, you have to realize that you have a limited amount of time. You have to grieve the fact that you have a limited amount of time and live within that reality as a path to happiness. If you want happiness, you have to understand that it means showing mercy to other people because that mercy will come back. The good things that you give out of your life will come back and they will bless you. And he goes on down through that. But he also talks about the roots of unhappiness, and that's what he starts on next. In this, in this passage in the Sermon on the Mount. Now, to talk about this, I have to talk about something that you may not like, okay? So am I, do I have permission to do that? Like, you might hate me? It's the S word. It's sin. And I have to talk about it because, you see, Jesus talks about it. And this comes right out of Christmas, just like we're not that far away from Christmas. Remember when the angel came to Joseph and he said, okay, you need to take Mary as your wife because this baby that is in her it's not something that she created by sinning. He said, I want you to give this baby the name Jesus, Yeshua, Joshua, because he will save. And then, you know, I'm sure Joseph is thinking, don't tell yeah, save us from the sinners that are all around in our cities, the Romans. They're all sinners. They're awful people. You ever lived with people like that? Yeah, he's going to save us. He's going to come and he's going to kill off all the Romans. But that's not what the angel says. Because he will save his people from their sins. Now, sin is a, a tough word, isn't it? We almost never hear it. Like when my kids disobeyed me, which happened occasionally as we, they were growing up, you know, I never said to them, you've sinned against your father. Never said that. I disciplined them, but I didn't tell them they sinned. Or, you know, somebody gets fired from their job and stuff like this, and somebody says, you've sinned against the company. Well, that's not, that wouldn't be true. You ever been stopped by a policeman? I, I can't relate to that, but you know, you know, you get stopped in the town. Well, you, you've sinned against the town of Markham. They don't say that. I would say, well, you're a sinner too. Okay. See, sin is defined as an offense against God. Is it's it means that there is somebody who runs the whole show, and and that somehow I have crossed a boundary line, and I have offended them. Okay? It implies that there are moral absolutes. Like there are things, it's not just a matter of opinion, but there are things that are actually right and things that are actually wrong. That's what it means. Okay? Now, there's another word that we, that we use, and, uh, and it's mistake. That's well, a nicer word, isn't it? You make a mistake, you know? I think this is up here someplace. So, you know, you, you know, you goof up, you know, well, you, mistake means that you just didn't have enough knowledge. You, you kind of goofed up or you, um, 
you know, you did something and, and, you know, if you would have thought more about it, you know, you probably would have, wouldn't have done it. So, I'm, but it's just like, you know, so when you make a mistake, and somebody comes after you and says, well, I, I, I'm, not a, I'm not perfect. I mean, nobody's perfect, right? I made a mistake for crying out loud. It's, it's just a mistake. It's all it is. And sin. Um, it's a kinder word. And you don't punish someone for a mistake. You know, you say, we're going to help you to learn better. We're going to give you remedial training so that you will not make the same. So if you make a mistake, it just means that you need to try harder. I'll do better next time. I, I, you know, I'll, 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 get, I'll get a little bit of help and stuff like that, but I'll actually do better next time. And here's the problem with that kind of thinking, okay? If, if all we do is make mistakes, then we're just mistakers. That's, and Jesus didn't come to save mistakers. He came to save sinners. See, if you're, if you're making mistakes, then you just need to, you know, do better than what you've done so far. You need to go get some education, or you need to, you know, get somebody to prop you up a little bit better in life if it's just a mistake. Now, how many of you, like me, have ever laid in bed at night, and you didn't stare at the ceiling because you can't see it, right? But, but you're laying there in bed at night, and, and you think to yourself about stuff that you've done and the ways that you've hurt people. And all of a sudden, all the rationalization stops, you know, because you begin to think to yourself, I didn't, I didn't make a mistake. I did that on purpose. And actually, the problem is that I got caught. And the issue is that I would actually do it again if I have the chance. In fact, I'm actually hoping that I'll have a chance to do it again. If we're honest with ourselves, that's the way it usually goes. Now, here's the interesting thing about English ivy, okay? You don't see this part. What you see is, like, it's great for covering things up. Like, you, you know, and I'll give you some of this. Like, if you have an ugly fence or you've got graffiti someplace and you need to cover, it's great for covering it up because you see the green. What you don't see are the big, ugly roots that are under the green part. And sometimes that's what we do. We, we cover up, you know, and, and we sometimes know this, like, if you, I don't know if you've ever done this, but you probably not because you're wonderful people, but you never have somebody, guy gets a promotion at work and stuff, and you, you think, I deserve that promotion. But what you do is you go over to him and say, way to go, you know, good job, good job, I'm so happy for you and stuff. Down inside, you're saying, I hate him. I deserve that, and I didn't get it, I hate him. Or, you know, um, a girl, you know, gets a new outfit and so on, and she loses some weight and stuff like this. And you say to her, you say, I am so happy for you. Man, you look great. You look wonderful. You look so good, you know. You say, I hate her. You know, I hope she grows 100 pounds and grows a wart like a shiitake mushroom on her chin, okay? Owning the truth about that stuff is hard, isn't it? Because it's something dark that's going on down inside. And it's hard for us to own it. Uh, but the roots, so here, here what I want you to do. Look at the hair of the person next to you, okay? So I'm looking out there. I see some shiny heads, so there's not much out there. But look at, the, look at the hair of the person out next to you and so on. And here's what I know. I know that for some of you, if they just kind of went au naturel and let it go, no, no darkening, no nothing and stuff like this, that over time, six months, the truth would set them free. 
because there would be gray stuff that would be growing out there. You know, you got to try it. Total honesty. I mean, but roots eventually show up, don't they? They are not hidden forever. Now, the other part of this is that our uh, heart and minds actually find what we're looking for. Did you know that? See, the thing is with your heart is that it will actually find a way to get what you want. I was uh, working on this message, so I'm up in my office, you know, I'm getting a little hungry, you know, and I don't usually do this, but I thought, I wonder if there are any Christmas Eve cookies left. <laughs> well, sure enough, you know, I found one, I actually found five over at No Frills, you know, I was, uh, we play this game, you know, well, I was just, you know, checking out this innocent website and what to my wondering, I should appear. Or, you know, I was bored and I decided to do a little shopping, you know, and, and I did. And you'd be surprised at what I found. Like the guy who drove by Tim Hortons, you know, and he prayed this prayer and said, Dear Lord, if you want me to break my diet and have a donut, you know, please let there be a parking space out in front of Tim Hortons, you know. And sure enough, there was. He drove around the block 12 times and there was one right there in front of Tim Hortons. See, your heart will find what you're looking for. Your heart will find what you're looking for. It will. And what happens is that we sometimes gamble with our health. We gamble with everything that we have. Like we lay it right out there on the line. Because you see, after all, it's just a cute little plant. It's not a big deal. And God's commentary is you don't need to do better. You don't need to try harder. You need a Savior. Because there's something in your heart that will take you down if you don't address it. Jesus took the mystery out of this stuff. And I don't know if you know this or not, but Jesus believed in the devil. Did you know that? He said that there's an unseen world that affects the visible world. Now, you believe that too, right? Let me tell you why. Back in the 1800s, uh, there used to be a, um, a thing that was called spontaneous generation. The people, like scientists, like the whole world believed this. And they believed that, like, you know, you, this influenza, for example, would come and take out a whole village or take out half the village and so on. And they would say, well, I don't know. We don't know what happened. It just, it just happened. It's just, you know, that living stuff comes from non-living stuff. That's what they believed. Then a guy by the name of Louis Pasteur came along, and he came up with what is known as the germ theory of disease, that this stuff has a start, and it comes from an invisible thing that affects the visible world. How many of you believe in germs? Any non-believers? See, you know, so we bring this stuff into our house and we pump it all over ourselves and we take it with us when we go to Mexico because, you know, if you might, if you're not careful, you know, you might get Montezuma's revenge. It's, you know, we believe in germs. We understand that. But for a long time, you see, people didn't know where this stuff came from. And Jesus, what he says is he says that what we see happen in the visible world, it comes from the invisible world. And some of you are saying about now, well, boy, it's about time you talked about the devil. I didn't think you believed in him. Or, you know, for others of you, you're saying, come on, Ken, really? You know, you look like a fairly intelligent person. You know, you believe in that stuff? Jesus believed in it. In fact, listen to what he said. He was talking to a group of people that were uh, giving him a hard time and so on, and they continued to give him a hard time. It was actually the religious people of his day. 
And he says, you want to know why you don't believe in me? Listen to what he says. You belong to your father, the devil. Now that works good in an argument. You're having an argument with your husband or your wife. You know, you belong to your father, the devil. Works. He says, and you want to carry out your father's desires, which they did, because he was a murderer from the beginning, and they eventually murdered Jesus, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. Listen to this. When he speaks, when he lies, he speaks his native language, because he is a liar and the father of lies. Main key, main thing he does is he deceives us. It's not a big deal. Just a little plan. He warns us and he says that there are thieves out there that can come. And he says, I've come to give life. I've come to give abundant life. I've come to bring happiness and joy and hope into your heart. But he said, there are thieves. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. You see, what you have to decide is what you're going to believe. I have another picture. Are you ready for this one? This is so cool. Okay. See, what you bring into your heart is this little cute little plant. You know, take it to bed with you, kiss it goodnight, feed it from your table, you know. At the, could you have a little bit, you know, play games with it? This thing grows up. It looks kind of like, you know, Sleeping Beauty, doesn't it? You know, but it's true. Stuff can take over your life. Now, next week we're going to start talking about the actual, these actual big, hairy, ugly roots of unhappiness. But what you're going to understand, what you're going to see at the very beginning of this is Jesus raises the bar. Remember he said, you've heard that it was said, but I say. Um, and, and he actually had two messages. And this is, what, this is what was really interesting. Like his first message is, it's worse than you think. In fact, he tells a group of, he says, you know what? Your righteousness has to be better than the people who do this professionally, which were the Pharisees and the law keepers. He says, your righteousness, if, you want, if you're thinking that you're going to be on par with God, if you're going to go to heaven and not infect heaven with all the junk that you've got, he says, you've got to, like, you've got to do better than they do. And people are saying, no, we can't be better than them. Like they do it professionally. Okay? This is his first message. And this is the one, this is the one that totally offended the religious people. Because the religious people, like we're doing really good. Like we're keeping this man, you know, Ten Commandments, we've got 600 more, and we're keeping them every day. Like, not break, don't break the Sabbath, you know. We don't carry figs around. We don't pick up anything bigger than Like, we're doing really good at this. And Jesus says, it's worse than you think. Interesting, the people who responded most to Jesus were the people that everybody thought, look at that little life over there. Man, oh man, I hope my kids don't turn out to be like them. They love Jesus. Because the second message was, God loves you more than you could possibly imagine. More than you could possibly imagine. And those are the two messages. And Jesus, as, you, as we go on through this, he says, you know, do not murder. That's what you've heard. Yeah, do not murder. That's part of the big ten. I understand why it's in there, man. Nobody, I don't want, ever want to murder. I won't even get close. And Jesus says, okay, when you're angry, you're starting down that path. Wait a minute. You mean I'm included in that? Oh, yeah, and there's more, you know. Don't commit, yes, don't commit adultery. That is in the Big Ten. I agree, you should not commit adultery. Just messes everything up. Do not commit adultery. I believe in that with all my heart. And Jesus says, yeah, well, that starts with lust. 
well, wait a minute, you know, like that eliminates me and all my guy friends. I mean, what are you talking about? That, that, that's, you know. And, and, but Jesus is getting at the part, you see, that we invite into our lives. That's what he's trying to get at. Now, as you know, like with, with, with the, the part of this that is a problem is deception. I mean, there's nobody that goes out and gets angry and says, I'm going to go out and buy a gun or buy a, you know, a bolo knife and, and I'm going to take their head off. It's, it begins smaller than that. With lust, it's never, you know, um, somebody, you know, is a straight arrow guy and then they go and sleep with a prostitute that night. It's always something that starts smaller than that. I think, hmm, well, that's interesting. Now, here's the irony of this whole mess. And you have to ask yourself the question, why is it that we let stuff into our lives like that? You know, give it the PIN number. Are you going to access all my accounts? Or, you know, here's the retina scan. I'll do it for you and let you in. Or, you know, do, give them all the passwords. You know why we do that? It's because we think, I need this to be happy. I need this to be happy. And what it does ultimately is it takes out our happiness. I mean, you think about this, you know, like most robbers and killers, you know, they, they sneak around in the shadows to try and get access to your house and to your heart. And sin always kills something. It always kills something. Maybe not right away, but neither do cancer or arsenic. They don't kill people right away. But sin always kills something. And what this does is it kills our happiness. That's why it's the roots of unhappiness. Now, here's the deal. You don't need a microscope to see that. All you need is a rearview mirror. I mean, anybody look in their past and find, you know, a couple weeks or a month or a year or five years or whatever, and you think to yourself, ooh, I wish I hadn't gone that direction. Most of us can't. Now, Ultimately, sin wrecks our peace. Toward the end of his ministry, Jesus was experiencing increasing hostility from, from the religious people. And you, you read about this, and he tells three stories. Most of you would, would remember them. He tells a story about the lost coin. This woman sweeps the whole house to find it. And then this you know, shepherd who loses one of his sheep, and he's got 99, and he goes out to find the one that's not there. And then the lost son, prodigal son. Remember the story about that? Jesus said there were actually two sons. One of them was the good son. One of them was the son where, you know, his dad would say, you make your dad proud, you know. But the other one was the younger son who hated the farm. And according to the culture, then he basically said this to his dad, you know, dad, you're taking way too long to die. So why don't we just speed up the process and you give me the money that's coming to me and then I'll be happy because money always makes you happy. And then I'll leave, I'll be out of your hair, and I'll go someplace else and do my happiness thing. So it made him happy for a while until it didn't, right? This one day he finds himself up to his knees in used pig feed, you know, and he's slopping the hogs and he's hungry. And he thinks to himself, you know, all the workers for my dad, like they get three square meals a day. I wonder if he'd give me a job. Interesting thing is that he comes up with this speech. And the speech is not, hey, dad, dude, how are you doing? You know, it's all good. You know, so good to see you. It's been a while, you know, and hey, you're looking good and so on. And by the way, I made some mistakes, you know, and, but hey, I'm back, you know, and, and that's not at all what happens. 
He says, I've sinned against God, and I've sinned against you. And I don't deserve a thing from you. But I'm just coming and asking if you'd help me. And of course, his dad, you know, grabs him by the throat. You scoundrel, you know, you've shamed us. No, he doesn't do that at all. He welcomes him back, brings him in as a son. Because you see, when you realize that you've sinned and you look for a savior, you find one. The one who gave his life for you. It's interesting that the other son was never reconciled to his father, at least from the story. We don't know really what happened to him. Because you see, he was just a mistaker. He was just a mistaker. He, you know, I made a mistake, you know, and I planted the crops in the wrong furrow, you know, but it's all good, you know. It's people who are mistakers that run away. But it's the people who understand that they've sinned that come and they find a Savior and they find a change in their lives, transformation. One more story, okay? You up for one more story? I need, are you okay? Are you not asleep, right? Okay. In 1847, before uh, Louis Pasteur uh, found out the germ theory of disease, there was another guy that was actually working on some of the same problems. His name was Ignaz Philipp Semmelweis. He's a Hungarian doctor. Ran a hospital. And, uh, and he was noticing that they had a lot of moms who were dying when they, when they came there to have their children. In fact, it, got so, it was like 17% of the women coming there to have their babies were dying. There were some moms that were like, they would, you know, they were going to take them to the hospital. They'd get down on their knees and they would cry and beg, please don't send me there. So he looked at a little bit of what was going on and he realized that, doc- that these doctors were down in the morgue performing autopsies and they would come right up and deliver babies without washing their hands or doing anything. Remember, it's, there's, no, there's no invisible world. There's no, there's no germs. There's nothing like that. So he realized that there was a connection between dead and then introducing the dead stuff to the living that was killing these women. So he got these basins and towels and, and kind of a mild uh, solution, disinfecting solution. And he said to the doctors, he says, why don't you wash your hands? Like you get done there before you deliver a baby, come up and wash your hands and dry your hands and then go deliver the baby. So they did this and it dropped like the mortality rate rate of what was called childbed fever dropped in one year from 17% to 2%. And so he went on kind of the road with this and so on. Like he went out to other and said, I've discovered something. I'm not sure what it is, but I found that if doctors will wash their hands in this disinfecting solution, that mums are not, will not die. What was interesting was the response of the medical community. They laughed him out of the building. They rejected him. In fact, at one point he says this, and I just want to read it for you. He says, doctors, friends, I have proven without a shadow of a doubt that childbed fever is caused by hands contaminated by autopsies. As we debate this, women die by the thousands from this unnecessary disease. For God's sake, men, wash your hands. But they didn't. They threw him out of the hospital. They put away his patients. They put away the towels. They put away the disinfecting solution. And it ruined him. He eventually died, 18, 1865. 
Interesting thing is that the, the year he died, 1865, was when Joseph Lister found out about carbolic acid and that instruments, before they're used on patients, need to be sterilized. But you see, the hearts of the physicians, is, from what I can gather, where they were too proud to understand the fact that they were actually killing people. They thought, can't be us. Not us. We wouldn't do that. And that's what pride does to the human heart. Truth about us is, you see, we don't live alone. We don't like ride through you know, life on a stainless steel cart. We affect other people's lives with our lives. And when our lives get tangled up and twisted out of shape with the big, ugly, hairy roots of unhappiness, it affects other, everybody else that's in our lives as well. We don't need to do better. We don't need to make less mistakes. We don't need a new educational track to help us. We don't need to Google and find out what the answer is. We need someone to save us from our sins. Not just forgive us, but to save us, to set us free. And that's why Jesus came. Let's pray.